I think people come to authors who lead because they're looking to make a movement with their message. That's the sort of the theme of Mandala Tree Press is I have something bigger to say here. This is not just because I want to be a published author. That's a really great reason to put a book out, to be honest. Hey, this is a goal. I want to do it. Because uh, I think there was an article in New York Times in 2008 that says 81% of North Americans have a book inside of them, but only 3% ever finish a manuscript. So the percentage is really small. And of those 3%, only 30% ever hit publish. So we're talking, it's a big life goal for a lot of people who don't take action. That was Azul Tarones. He is the CEO and founder of Authors Who Lead. This is his second time on the podcast. Last time, as you'll hear, I was recording in the closet at the beginning of the pandemic while my kids were in virtual school, but I had to have him back because since he's been on, he has created not one, but two publishing companies. One, Mandala Tree Press, and the other one is Fiction with Purpose. So he's publishing both nonfiction and fiction books. We get into that, how to write a book and publish it with just 20 minutes a day. And this won't take you years, people. It'll literally take you a couple of months. You are going to love this conversation with Azul if you have even thought about writing a book before. He really breaks down the difference between traditional publishing, self-publishing, and then going with a small publisher like his. So I hope you enjoy this interview. I know you will with Azul. wonder how some people seem to get all the media coverage, but you don't? Go behind the scenes with a TV reporter, national on-air host, and news contributor who has interviewed celebrities, took you inside the Versace mansion, and even stood on a chair to interview basketball legend Alonzo Mourning. Get ready, because Become a Media Maven is the podcast where Christina Nicholson is sharing secrets from her years in front of the camera, in the editing booth, and now behind the podcast mic. Azul, welcome to Become a Media Maven again. Welcome back. Oh, thank you. I am so grateful to be here. Always a pleasure. And you just noticed that I was out of the closet the last time we chatted. I was in my closet. You were, yes. Forced there by the pandemic and children in virtual school. So I'm glad to catch up with you because so much has happened in your life since we last chatted. I don't believe you had Mandala Tree Press on the last podcast episode, did you? No, I don't believe so. We started that in the pandemic. Um, Mandala Tree was birthed out of the idea that more people needed support for publishing and we decided to do, yeah, start a publishing company, which has gone really well, which is surprising because during a pandemic, you don't think about starting something new if you can avoid it. But yeah, it was a great, a great decision for us. And we we since started a second press that hasn't been announced for Fiction with Purpose. It's called um, Rock Rose Press. It's uh, something we've been starting to coach fiction too, which has been really fun, like transformation through fiction. So one is a publishing company for nonfiction and the other one's for fiction? Correct. Okay. Got it. So tell me a little bit more about why you started um, Mandala Tree Press. Like you said, authors needed more support. Like what were you seeing that you needed to solve a problem? Yeah. So oftentimes we would do a lot of done for you service. Authors who leads job is to help leaders write and publish books that people love. And that was great, but some of the authors were feeling like, I need to know, how do I launch this book? How do I continue to market it? How do I get publicity? How do I like succeed with a book? I don't just want to p- 
put it on Amazon. I want it to be, you know, like useful. So we told them things they had to do. They're like, that seems like a lot. Could you help us? I said, well, if we're going to do that, it's a long-term relationship because to get your book isn't just birthed and then you leave it. It's like a child. You have to nurture it over time. <laughs> it's fun to throw that first birthday party, but that's not it. That's not the life of a child, nor is it for a book. So we end up having to to create a, a part of it that provided podcast pitching, which we use your beautiful service that you have oh, uh, to help yeah. us. Um <laughs> To help them get publicity and get onto podcasts, to help build a media page that actually attracts the media that's really succinct. So we had to do those things for them that they weren't really able to or knew what to do. Um, and as well as started to get a international agent to sell our foreign rights. So we have the ability to now shop our rights at the international book fairs, which is great. Um, we just sold one foreign rights translation to for one of our books in Taiwan, and we'll continue to sell in October at the um, Frankfurt Book Festival, where we sell uh, our rights to foreign um, translations. So that's something else that we get to do as a publisher that you really can't do as a, as a self-published author, unless you have a huge following and you could prove that you, you're worthy. But so those kinds of things allowed us to really help our authors in more than just get their book on Amazon. So it all starts with writing a book or does it, does it start with writing a proposal? Like I'm always tripped up on this because I've heard people can be successful doing it both ways, but what do you suggest? Like if you want to, I guess it depends on if you want to go self-published or published route, like break it all down. I feel like there's so many ways to do this one thing that people get kind of lost. Yeah. So let's let's break it into three categories. That might make it easier for people. So traditional publishers, let's just talk about the old school big five publishers. They look for they're constantly looking for titles. I mean, they're always looking for people who want to write books. The challenge is for that, not only they're looking for a decent idea for a manuscript, they're looking for an author with an audience who can sell the book. Now, being that said, most big publishers or agents. Let's start with agents because agents tend to want to help you shape your book. They, they don't, if, even if you bring a manuscript, they're trying to shape the book to what they think they can sell. So they ask, agents will first ask for a query letter. Tell me why you, what's your book about? If they have interest, then they'll ask you to send a proposal. And a proposal typically is anywhere from 30 to 60 pages outlining the book's chapters, title, purpose, it's competitive relationship to the market and then marketing. How will they sell it? How big is their audience? That kind of thing. Um, and then some sample chapters. That's enough for an agent to start to shop a book. You don't have to have a full manuscript. Um, however, most authors, I, I don't know how you're thinking through a book by just creating a proposal. It's really hard to know what you have to say. So for a lot of authors, that's a difficult process. They already have a book in mind. They're, they're, they want to write it, and so it's difficult for them to shop a book they haven't written yet. Um, at least that's from my my understanding. Um, however, our mutual friend, Jada Selner, um, mm-hmm. she and I worked on a book draft of a manuscript early on as I coached her um, because she had already published a book for Simple Green Smoothies. She needed to help herself get oriented to get an agent. She already had an agent, <clears throat> and she wanted to get her proposal done. So we decided to write a manuscript first to figure out what she had to say, because that was the problem for her. She's like, I'm not even sure exactly what I have to say yet. And then when we found the manuscript idea through the book, 
she took it to the agent. And then with the agent, myself and Jada's team, we, we crafted a proposal that shifted a little bit. And then once she was able to sell the book to a publisher, then an editor from the publishing house got involved. Editors are the ones who acquire books. Uh, editors at, at publishing houses are the ones that are responsible for, for buying manuscripts and then producing them as quality. That's traditional. So that's, you can see how complicated a traditional book deal. Yeah. Is. It's a lot. It's a lot. Then on the self-publishing side, you have a manuscript. You, you can move as quickly as you want to get it to press. Um, and it goes very quickly. If you have your edits, you know, you're ready to edit your book or the edits are done. You can move fairly, you know, the speed of uh, your, your ability. However, most people don't know what it takes. It takes a lot of work sometimes to get your manuscript to the quality you want. That's where someone like us comes in because we sit in the middle. We can represent a, a publisher or sorry, a author, help them with the steps that a publisher would do, like getting them editorial support, thinking through the manuscript, figuring out the title, the design, the positioning of the book, and then carry out their book, either publish it for them on their behalf because they want to be self-published um, or on our press, which means we we're a subsidy publisher because we want to help authors publish their book and get it on in bookstores and maybe do an audiobook and use it for leverage for their business or for their speaking career. But they don't want to wait two and a half years to get it from, Hey, I had to get an agent to maybe being able to sell it. So we, we do still fee for service, but we share in the responsibility. So that's when we add our team to help with creating a media page, helping them know how to pitch their book, helping them to market and plan and execute. Um, and help them throughout their their launch of their book. So that's kind of why we sit in the middle. It's because it's not as it's not as alone as maybe self-published, and it's not the big hoop. So we don't request a proposal, but we do request an application. We want to know: Are you serious? Why do you? Why you? Why this book? Do you want to make a commitment to this? Um, because most authors have a dream that I'll just submit it and they'll they'll take care of everything. And big publishers don't do that either. They really rely on the author to help sell the book. Yeah, that's something that I learned when I started actually interviewing people on this podcast. Like everybody thinks you just get a deal with like Little little Brown or Grand Central Publishing or St. Martin's, whatever it is, that it's just mm. going to be an instant bestseller. And it's like they they really don't do any kind of PR for you. I feel like the best way, tell me if I'm wrong, I feel like the best way to sell a lot of books as like somebody who may not be as well known as others is to get it in Reese Witherspoon's hands and have her pick it as her book club pick. That's like the dream, that, right? That well, that is the dream actually for a lot of authors, as well as for whether you're self-published or not. She's, I, I like the idea that one that women are taking charge. Let me just be honest, and two that that it can be a book that does really well. It doesn't matter that you were published with the big five. Um, you could really do really well with a small published book. But you got to really think about it as commercial. You can't just think about it as your pet project because, you know, if you're going to invest in a book, you have to have a broad enough audience for people to be inspired. So those small those publishers, basically, they might say, give 100 book deals to authors, but they're only counting on the top two or three percent to actually make them money. And that's where they put their attention because that's where the bulk of the money they're able to take certain losses on books because they're not sure what will hit. So they don't have time to invest in authors. That's why they ask you in your proposal, how are you going to sell this book? Because they they don't have time to deal with a hundred different launches of a book. And tell me how 
you can help people write a book with just 20 minutes a day because writing a book sounds daunting. It's been on my list of things to do for the longest, but I keep getting distracted with other things. But yeah. if you break it down to 20 minutes a day, that sounds easy. Yeah. So I tell people the reason I, I figure this out is I always wanted to be an author most of my young adult life into my adulthood. And I spent 24 years thinking about writing a book, but not really finishing one, starting one, getting a book of ideas, but not having a book. And when I figured out it was just simple math that I was missing because I felt hard. I just kept, every time I went to write, it just felt hard. Um, until I started doing timed writing and calculating how many words a book is, I would say average book lengths are 50, 55,000 words. I had no idea that books were counted by words. I always thought they were by pages. Um, but then I broke it down to, well, how many words can I write in a minute? I had no idea. Um, so I sat down and I tied myself for about six minutes and say, well, how long did it take me? How many words did I get in six minutes? And I was like, okay, that's pretty great. So my word writing average was 28 words in a minute, which is not very fast, to be honest. Uh, but if I multiplied that by 60 minutes, then it was 1,680 words in, a, in an hour. I was like, so if I wrote this for 30 days straight for an hour a day, I'd finish a book? Yeah. And that's essentially what I did. So if you only have 20 minutes a day, you do this, you just break it down and go, well, I can't write it in 30 days with 20 minutes, but I can write it in 45 or I can write it in 60 days because I'm only spending the exact amount of time I need. And most authors think they're writing, but what they're doing is researching, staring at the page, deleting, <laughs> rewriting. They're not writing. So a lot of what we help authors do is retrain their brain. Writing only counts if you put words on the page. If you delete them, you can't count them. So writers have to get better at thinking of writing different than editing. Because, you know, I was a school teacher. We train young people to be editors, not writers. We train them how to turn a piece of work in that gets them a grade. So we're constantly thinking about that. How do I get this good enough? Instead of, why don't I just write? I'll worry about that later. That's really hard for the adult brain to work on because we've trained it really hard. So my job is to help authors see, yeah, it's not the amount of time that's your struggle. It's your belief about what books are that make it really hard. And if you do this for 20 minutes a day, when is your book done? I would say it depends on how fast you write. So I, I, I told you I write pretty slow. 28 words in a minute is pretty slow. But if I wrote 20 min minutes a day and let's say I could write, you know, let's say it's if I'm fast, a thousand words, then I'd be done with the book in about, you know, a little month and a half wow. with the draft of the book. Okay. See, I need help with the math. I'm not a math person as well. So thank you. Yeah. And speaking of your teaching past, people need to listen to your TEDx talk titled what makes a good teacher great. It's been viewed over 3 million times and it's actually landed you some like significant paid speaking deals too, because it's so freaking fabulous. Oh, thanks. Yeah, that, you know, honestly, that was a failed book proposal. I just got to be honest, that wasn't intended to be a TED talk. Um, I, I was still, you know, I was still helping authors, but I was like, maybe I need to get a book deal. Maybe I need to be published with a big publisher. I don't know. I was still, it was pretty new. It was about six or seven years ago. I was truly new to the, to the work. And so I had got a proposalist to help me kind of craft the proposal about what makes a good teacher great. And I, I essentially had collected 26,000 responses to this question I had asked students over the 24 years, what makes a good teacher great? And I was really blown away by what I learned, not because I really got it then, but at, you know, later I started to realize I wasn't listening to kids and I wanted to share what I, what I learned from those 
responses. And I had told the New York Times bestselling author, Dan Rome, who wrote Back a Napkin about this idea at a conference. We were chatting and he said, I should introduce you to my, my uh, agent. And I was like, you know, the same agent for still like an artist, Austin Cleona. I was like, wow, this is a big honor. But unfortunately, what it is, it freaked me out because then I started feeling pressure like this has to be good. So the proposal didn't come off very well. My proposal <laughs> proposal coach said, this isn't very interesting. I got to be honest. I, I was kind of crushed because I was like this. I was told this is a good idea. He goes, the idea is great. What kids say is interesting, but you seem to be like upset about what's wrong with education. And that's not very inspiring. So I put it on the rest and I had written another book. So someone invited me, uh, my friend, Charlie Hohen, who were also an author. I used to work for Tim Ferriss said, Hey, I'm doing a Ted talk in Dominican Republic. I think you should talk to the organizer. He's a friend. I think you have something here. So that's where the, the Ted talk came from. And that Ted talk, I still was wrestling with it the night before. In fact, I had to re I rewrote it the night before the first, the rehearsal redid slides, everything. And I wasn't really ready. And I went to rehearsal and they got behind and I never got to practice it even once until the day of the actual talk. <laughs> so I think it was just that that talk was, that, it's the message that was really good. It wasn't that I was perfectly practiced or I, I'm not a public speaker, but it, what it did was- You look flawless, Azul. Oh, thank you. It, it made me feel confident because I was like, this is, this is the message more than anything else because it's definitely not practice. It's definitely not- like, I know how this is going to go. I've never done this talk before. It's a room full of people who, Dominican Republic, I wasn't sure how good their Spanish was or English was. So I spoke very slowly, intentionally. And some of the people who criticized me say, this guy talks to yourself. I'm like, I wasn't doing it for you. I was doing it for the 400 people in the room who were sitting there. <laughs> I can't um, even, like, don't even get me started on the comments. But okay, I feel like this should be a book now, though. Like, I know it started as that, but then it was the TEDx talk. But I feel like, because it's so successful, like, are you going to turn this into a book? I am. I actually, a lot of prodding because I've really felt discouraged by it. And as funny as it is that I'm a book coach, it's, you can't coach yourself. And our mutual friend, Pat Flynn, is constantly on me about finishing this book. Yeah. I'm pretty close to done. I, the problem with it is I met with Lucinda, who is uh, somebody you referred me to as an agent. And I talked to her about it. I said, look, I just want you to break me down on my podcast. Don't hold back. Don't be nice watch the TED doc and tell me, is this worthy? Cause I wanted to her honest opinion. I don't want any BS. I want to know. Yeah. She says, it's great. I like the idea the premise is really strong, but you, you have to have more than just 15 minutes worth of a conversation. So my advice is make it so that there's something more. And so what I built was a framework because what I realized is that I was targeting new teachers who wanted to become great. And the biggest mistake they're making is following teachers who've done it for two decades, mm -hmm. who are, basically survived. Some of them are, are great, but the truth is a lot of us, and I know because I was a principal as well, that after a certain number of years, you just sort of carry on whether you're good at it or not, to be honest. And so I wanted to have framework and I built a framework called Be Wild, which is part of what I wanted teachers to understand that there needed to be a way to do this work, not just ask the question, what makes a good teacher great of kids? You have to know what do you do with that information? So that's what the book's about, about how do I, how do I become a great teacher if I just listen to kids? I freaking love it. I think this is going to be a read with Jenna pick, Jenna Bush Hager from the Today Show, because I think her mother was, is very big into teaching and reading. And I think this is like the topic would resonate with her. So we'll have to send her a copy when that gets yes, done. Um, amazing. <laughs> Tell me what people 
can do with a book, specifically nonfiction, because so many people like, do they just want it for the sake of wanting it? Like, what does this turn into for people? I think people come to authors who lead because they're looking to make a movement with their message. That's the sort of the theme of Mandala Tree Press is I have something bigger to say here. This is not just because I want to be a published author. That's a really great reason to put a book out, to be honest. Hey, this is a goal. I want to do it. Because uh, I think there was an article in New York Times in 2008 that says 81% of North Americans have a book inside of them, but only 3% ever finish a manuscript. So the percentage is really small. And of those 3%, only 30% ever hit publish. So we're talking, it's a big life goal for a lot of people who don't take action. So it's that's a good reason. But what I find a lot of people come to us for is like, hey, I'd love to get more clients or I want to make a pivot in my business and I will, I want to get known for something quickly or at least have the um, evidence that I know what I'm talking about. And a book's a great way to show who you are and what you stand for. And it helps people get speaking gigs, um, helps them build their platforms for their courses or their content, um, establishes authority because everyone knows what a book is. You don't have to explain. We're still here explaining to people why a podcast matters, even to some why a blog matters, you know? So even though new media takes a while, but nothing, a book is, once you say you're an author, instant credibility, no matter who it is. Unknown caller. That's that's kind of the thing. That's okay. Can I tell you why I have my ringer on? I need to turn it off on podcast because I'm in the middle of a launch Mm -hmm. and- Whenever somebody um, joins, I get a text that says "Chaching." So I always, <laughs> I always have my phone on silent. But then I was like, "Oh, let me turn the ringer on so I can hear the chachings. And that's um, good. Yeah, so it's back on silent. Um, but yeah, I've heard you talk about this before. Like everybody has a book in them, but they don't pull the trigger. I mean, it's like everybody who like you see something on Shark Tank and you're like, oh my God, I had the idea. I thought of that. And then nobody follows through. It's like, we've all had brilliant business ideas, but it's the execution that makes the big difference. It really does. And most people are terrified of writing a book. Terrified. One, because they're like, I'm not a writer. Most people that write books aren't writers. I think it would surprise the people that they found out the majority of the New York Times bestsellers list was ghostwritten. Because why? You think those athletes, those stars write their books? Absolutely not. You think those business leaders write their books? Most of them do not. It's very rare. And so this true. A lot of books are written to sound very similar. They follow a formula that, that quote sales. But the challenge with that is, is that you have to figure out why am I writing this book? I, I always say that books are transformational. You can't expect someone to transform if you haven't. It's kind of saying, I'll give you my information from way back in the past versus I'm giving you what I'm understanding now of myself and of the world. That takes a lot of courage because a lot of people think, well, what if I'm wrong? What if I don't know what I'm talking about? And that's the fear. That's the resistance uh, that Stephen Pressfield talks about in his book, The War of Art, that you start to feel a sense of doubt. In the entrepreneurial world, we might call it imposter syndrome but in a book world it's even stronger because it's paralyzing even really seasoned authors experience what what is called writer's block but writer's block isn't real writer's block is a belief you don't get plumber's block or hairdresser block oh my god i can't do your hair today i just can't that's ridiculous and we think it would be but writers seem to own this idea that it's a block no your block is your belief you got to get through that so a lot of my programs and coaching is to help people get over the belief that this isn't going to be good 
What if no one loves it? What if it gets bad reviews? What if it sucks? Those are all things they think about. They have nothing to do with writing. So, but we have to pull those out of the funnel, as I call it, because it's blocking writing. Because when they open a page, page and stare at it, and it's blank. They just feel like I'm a fraud. I'll never be able to do this. And the truth is, it's just one word after the other. That's really what writing is. But there's a strong attachment to it that we have to help. So books are about helping people stand in their power. I know whether it's Pat Flynn or Jod or anyone else I've helped, they they had me come in their corner to be with them when they're writing because it feels like a very lonely art. And in school, we told people, don't look at your other people's paper, do your own work. But in the publishing world, in the book writing world, it's a team sport. You have to have a whole team around you to help support you. Uh, otherwise, you might not finish. And that's what really matters. And then people get confident. I mean, I'm not a speaker, and yet that TED Talk, that's one example. Because I had a book. They were like, you're an author. You probably have something to say. I was like, oh, my God. Now they think I have a TED Talk? I don't have a TED Talk. <laughs> that's that's what I was like, well, I don't have a book proposal. Maybe it's a TED Talk. Uh, the other thing is I got invited to speak all over the world to give that talk. What makes a good teacher great? And paid, yeah, five figures for an hour of talking was kind of blows my mind. And people have built entire conferences on that book idea. The, I mean, the TED Talk idea without, you know, like, hey, can we use your idea for a conference? Yeah, sure. Sounds great. That's why I did the talk. Hope it helps you. So that's the power of like getting your message out there. So and that's what we do. We help people clarify their message so they can be confident that's the book that matters to them the most. Final question. Another new thing since we've last connected is fiction with purpose. Now, for me, just coming from a PR perspective, it is so much easier to promote a nonfiction book than a fiction book because with a nonfiction oh, book, it's just like your expertise. With a fiction yeah. book, it gets tricky. But tell me what what is fiction with purpose? Yeah, well, what I realized is that a lot of entrepreneurs in particular, it seems, or maybe they're just my my circle of leaders, friends, they say, you know, I'd like to write fiction someday. Mm -hmm. I just don't know if I can. No, I do cool. too. I read like all get the excited. mysteries. I love them. Like I want, I need, I need to write one. I think it'll be so fun. That's exactly right. But they feel like it's really not a part of my business. It's not even a part of my brand. It's not, I was like, you know, fiction with purpose is, or why are you doing this? And for Steve and I, during the pandemic, we spoke to our father, who's now in the hospital at the moment, um, about his early life growing up in Appalachia, uh, son of coal miners, and in this very small rural town, just outside of a red light district called Cinder Bottom. It was a red light district since the 1800s, way before Vegas. It's where people went to do things you couldn't do anywhere else. Um, but it was an interesting place to grow up as a little kid or young boy because you got to see things. So we said, look, he always tells us these stories. Rather than write a biography, let's fictionalize this. Let's tell his story through our lens so we can capture the story of his life. So we created a three-book series we've been writing together. We're on book three. And the reason fiction with purpose is the purpose is to leave behind a legacy. And that matters to us. That's the purposefulness. It's not how many books can I sell? It's like, how how can I serve my purpose? And for some, it's like, I've always wanted to talk about, I have a doctor in our program. He's like, I want to talk about why I became a doctor and I want to help other physicians not treat their patients like a disease. I want to tell them how much people need to be seen. And so he wants to write a book of fiction to help other physicians. But he wants to use fiction, not not a nonfiction book, because that's his his he feels like he could tell the story better. And those are purposeful things. And that's what fiction with purpose is about helping you tell a story, not so you can make money or build your business, but because it's purposeful. Um, you, maybe you're telling an untold story or something. 
you want to tell. And it shouldn't take forever. Our programs for fiction last three months. It's a fast sprint. And we just help people get it out quickly without trying to overwhelm themselves with the whole business of becoming an author. That's That gets in the way. But fiction with purpose is about helping you kind of tell something that you need to say. And it is fun. Oh, it's so much fun. So much fun. And I teach it very differently because I never could write fiction, even though I taught it often because everyone says, this is how you do it. There's all these structures, follow this structure. And I was like, I think there's got to be easier way because structure seems to get in the way of most people. So we teach in a totally different way that it's fun. It's engaging. It's just as exciting for the author as it is for the reader. Cause you don't know what's going to happen either. And that might seem scary, but the truth is most of us know how to tell a good story. It's in our DNA as humans. You just have to trust it a little more than you probably think. And if you want to go the traditional route, correct me if I'm wrong, but the difference between fiction and nonfiction is with fiction, there's no book proposal. Like you got to have the damn thing written to get yeah. it. Yeah. They want to read the first, if they're not engaged in the first 20 pages, they're not, an intern's going to read it. And if they're not interested, they pass it on. You know, <laughs> in, That's how it goes. I used to be in the, the uh, publishing department for a production company. And I, my job as an intern, you know, 19 years old is to read scripts and either put them in the yes pile or no pile. And so here's this person who has very little experience making decisions in your life. So just know that, yeah, fiction is that way. It's a good story engaging or is it not? That's so crazy though, because some people will love it and other people will hate it. Like where the crawdads sing, I was not a fan of the book, liked the movie, but like the book, I was like, oh my God, this is so boring. But look, clearly I'm in the minority because that's like a ridiculous hit. So it's so weird because especially with fiction, like it's like love it or hate it. And everybody has their own unique take on it. That's right. And some, I mean, I'm teaching this fiction course at the moment and I'm writing romance. I'm not a romance author. Well, I guess I am now, but <laughs> romance is a big industry and it people devour it. So I want to put my own spin on it. So I want to teach people that you can do these things, even if you seem like, I don't know if I can. I want to show, but what if you could? What if you didn't worry about writing science fiction or fantasy or romance or any of these other genres? Just give it a shot. You, you can't be wrong because you might be really good at it and just don't know it. I love it. Okay. I'm going to link to all of your social media. I'm going to link to your TEDx talk. I will link to authors who lead in the show notes. Where else? Where else should we send people? Where can people find out more about you? Yeah. If you go to authorswholead.com, you can find out about all those programs as well as um, Mandala Tree Press. But I would say, listen to the podcast. Authors Who Lead is where I interview other authors, especially those who you know had big deals and go through the process of writing what it's really like. Did they really write their book? Because I asked them, Ryan Levesque, did you write this book? I like to hear the truth. I want to know. So that's a good place to go to get inspiration as well. So anything Authors Who Lead would be great. I love that. Okay. And I've been mispronouncing the name of your publishing company. I said Mandala. It's not Mandala. It's Mandala. Yeah. Why like the, it, tell me. The circle, correct. like it's a, it's sort of like a, a symbol. Mandala is like this, this circle um, understanding of the world, like everything is circular. So it just represents, Mandala tree is an actual, uh, it's a tree in Portugal where we have our home that, one of our homes there is, um, this idea of cork as being a tree that's renewed. And that's what the whole, the, the, the idea of the brand came around. Like, you know, what if you just continue to pull these layers out without killing the tree? It just keeps growing back. That's what books are. They just keep continuing to grow um, once we remove one. 
I remember you explaining that when we were in San Diego at our retreat with, um, with Pat, I remember this was like an idea then. And you were talking about, I think we're going to call it this because of the tree and now <laughs> yeah. freaking look at what has happened all of these years later, you published my friend, Amanda Tice's book. Oh, such a great book. Yeah. The new mom That's code. A, yeah. It's a great, <laughs> I love working with Amanda. She's such a delight. She's fabulous. She's fabulous. I remember I went to Austin a couple of years ago to speak at a conference and I brought the whole fam and I told my husband, oh, we're going to go meet my friend, Amanda. We used to be TV reporters back in the day in the Bronx. I said, and now she's like a successful underwear model. And he's like, oh, okay. Like, simmer down <laughs> Wait, now. <laughs> yeah. Simmer down. Yeah. <laughs> I love hanging out with her. We have so much fun. She's fabulous. Um, yeah. She was on the podcast talking about her process and she said she did things backwards she said totally. she wrote the book first and then came to you to get help writing the book yeah and she's like i have this book what do i do with this i was like okay let's work on it let's figure out does this book work and how do we structure it help her fulfill her dream which is to talk about this new mom code because she's definitely a different mom than a lot of moms being an international curve model and traveling you have to think differently about your motherhood right um and i love the way she starts the book too about her you know showing back up after being a mom, being pregnant and still nursing and then having to be in, you know, a bathing suit on national TV. It was like <laughs> the opening of the book. What was it like to really be a mom? So I love, I loved working with her to help her find her message. For She's her book. fabulous. Awesome. Thank you, Azul. You've been amazing. Thank you. If you want to connect with Azul, make sure you check out the show notes for this episode. I also link to Podcast Clout, which is the resource he mentioned, what he uses to pitch his author friends on podcasts, his TEDx talk, as well as his website, Authors Who Lead. If you have even thought about writing a book, I definitely suggest you check out Azul. He's one of the best in the business to work with, and he really is just one of the nicest, kindest, and just amazing people that I've ever met. So... Make sure you check out the show notes for this episode, and I will see you again soon here on Become a Media Maven.